I'm Mark Peterson from FEMA External Affairs, and this is the FEMA Podcast. In 1997, the areas of northern Minnesota and North Dakota experienced one of the largest flood events in U.S. history. While ultimately, much of the Mississippi River Basin experienced some level of flooding that year, no impacts were felt more harshly than in East Grand Forks, Minnesota and Grand Forks, North Dakota. In this episode of the FEMA podcast, we'll look back 20 years after the flood on how the Joint Response and Recovery Partnership of local, state, and federal resources took East Grand Forks, Minnesota from tragedy to community resilience. It seems like every day we turn on our TV, listen to the radio, read the papers, or see stories in our social media feeds of new and tragic natural disasters somewhere around the world or the country. In fact, often those stories are about the number one most common natural disaster in the U.S., flooding. Underwater, here in New Orleans tonight, after the giant storm came the rising waters. Over 80% of the city is flooded. This is I-75 at Nevada, near Seven Mile on Detroit's east side. But you wouldn't know that by looking. After heavy rainfall, the highway became a raging river of rainwater. The National Weather Service is using the word catastrophic. The flooding on the Sabine River here near Deweyville is the highest it's been in 100 years. Those headlines from Hurricane Katrina, the 2014 Detroit floods, and the most recent Lower Mississippi Valley floods of 2016 highlight how recent major flood events have gripped the headlines in different areas of the country with different dramatic effects. And while today's headlines continue to remind us of the magnitude of natural disasters, it's important to remember other major events and where those communities are today. It's the worst flooding to hit the Red River Valley in modern history. And the President of the United States is about to view the incredible devastation for himself. As with other historic events, statistics certainly help tell part of the story. In 1997, in northern Minnesota and North Dakota, more than five billion damages were incurred. 53,000 people were evacuated from their homes, and 95% of the homes were affected. The Red River of the North, which forms the border between Minnesota and North Dakota, rose more than 26 feet above flood stage in the area between Grand Forks, North Dakota and East Grand Forks, Minnesota. The area has historically seen its share of flooding. The river flows from the southern half of Minnesota and North Dakota up into Canada through some of the flattest areas in the region, formed in a lake bed from an ancient glacial lake. The flat terrain is especially problematic in flood situations as flood waters usually spill over the river's shallow banks, creating massive overland flooding situations. Combined with frozen soil, rapid snow thaw, and riverways dammed with large chunks of ice, some floods have been catastrophic. In April of 1997, water as deep as 54 feet spilled three miles inland, inundating virtually everything in the towns of Grand Forks, North Dakota and East Grand Forks, Minnesota. In East Grand Forks, all of the city's 9,000 residents had to be evacuated, while 90% of Grand Forks' 52,000 residents had to leave their homes and businesses to escape the rapidly rising water. The voices of those who survived, responded, recovered, and ultimately built back both Grand Forks and East Grand Forks gives a much clearer picture of just how significant the 1997 flood was along the Red River of the North. 
We'll tell the story of the recovery through the journey of East Grand Forks. So coming into 97, we really did have a feeling that, you know what, it's going to be dicey. We had a 49-foot crest prediction. That was current mayor of East Grand Forks, Steve Gander. Mayor Gander experienced every stage of his town's devastation. In 1997, he had a successful optometry practice in town. Along with his family, he lived and worked in East Grand Forks. Ultimately, his home and business, like many others, was filled with damaging water. As the initial floodwaters rose, the entire town of East Grand Forks was in some way called to the flood fight. Hey, we've always done it. We've always kept the floodwaters out of our streets. And with a full, you know, dig in, everybody gives their best effort. We'll do it again. As the waters rose, resources from the federal and state government were beginning to arrive. But as the town worked against historic river levels, the strain against the legacy levees and dikes took its toll. The water was just about at the top of the bags and we were tired and and it was seeping pretty badly. And air raid sirens had been going off, you know, civil defense sirens had been going off for most of the last several days. And we almost didn't hear them anymore because they did signify an emergency somewhere in our community. But after a while, you don't hear them so much. Well, one of them was going and I was continuing to work. And well, one of the folks from the Army Corps of Engineers came along and said, well, do you hear that siren? I said, yep. Don't worry about it. They've been going off for days. And he said, no, this one's different. Um, there's been a breach up at the Louis-Marie Bridge, which was a mile or a mile and a half up the river. And he said, there's a 20-foot wall of water coming up the back of the dike. In a matter of minutes, this whole area will be underwater. And so you'll have to leave the area immediately. Ron Sherman, FEMA's federal coordinating officer, was deployed to northwest Minnesota to lead the federal effort, along with a team of FEMA staff, ultimately to coordinate the federal resources that were going to be brought to bear to respond to the flooding across the state. Um, the town essentially mobilized everybody they could for the sandbagging effort, and I was there as the FEMA representative relaying requests for supplies for sandbags and sand back to uh, Minneapolis to the Corps of Engineers. Sherman remembers one of the first coordination meetings, where he realized the enormity of the flood in East Grand Forks. While attending the meeting in City Hall, it was announced that water was coming in through the front door, and everybody would have to leave. Yeah, we were actually in the first floor of City Hall um, with a couple of the trustees, and a, a police officer came to the door and said, time to get out of here, the levee's going. And I thought, well, this is going to be an interesting experience. So we had to leave and head headed east towards Crookston, and they had to evacuate the uh, police department, fire department, city hall. Essentially, the, the city was then you know, shut down. Mayor Gander described the damage to the town like this. We knew it was going to be one of our worst floods ever, and so we were well prepared to fight a flood, just not one of this magnitude. And so as it came up, you know, and you started, your early thoughts are, oh, goodness, we're going to lose this neighborhood, and then, oh, we're going to lose this end of town. Well, then, finally, it was only after, honestly, after we evacuated, when we left, I did not honestly think about my practice and the fact that we'd have five feet of flood water through the whole thing, and that my very ability to feed my family was going to be put in jeopardy. Like many disasters, the situation devastated the housing for many residents. What was supposed to be just a few days, and it turned out to be about 21 days of evacuation with my wife and a couple of young kids, 
all but about eight homes, I think, in the city of East Grand Forks sustained some degree of flood damage. And so it was a citywide event. Temporary shelters are holding thousands of flood refugees who could be out of their homes for weeks. In disasters like the 1997 floods, where so many homes are affected with few alternate housing available nearby, FEMA works with federal, state, and local partners to provide other temporary housing options to meet that need. In East Grand Forks, the best option quickly became the use of travel trailers. When it became clear that some of these neighborhoods wouldn't be re-inhabited, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers began setting up utility lines for permanent homes to be set up in relocation areas. The stabilization of the situation would take an enormous amount of time, but also an enormous amount of cooperation between the federal government and the state and local governments, but also the residents. The housing operation was challenging, quite challenging, but also the flood debris cleanup was a huge undertaking. So those two actually had to go hand in hand uh, before we could pull in travel trailers. Roads had to be cleared. Um, lots next to houses had to be cleared. Um, we ended up using most people's driveways as the place that we could actually set a travel trailer and get it hooked up so we could utilize any existing um, utility hookups that were still there. So we had two, two aspects for temporary housing. One was travel trailers next to people's homes in their driveways. And then there simply weren't enough places to put travel trailers for everybody. So we built the mobile home section um, just outside of town. But we, we designed the lots and laid out the utilities so that once a mobile home was pulled out of there at some point, you could actually build a home on that lot use the utilities we had already put in. And that was a controversial uh, move at the time because it cost more money. It used more piping and wire to do the lots that wide. But in the long run, it became a permanent community with a lot of brand new homes. But recovery for East Grand Forks meant more than stabilization of the new status quo and temporary solutions. It was looking to the future and rebuilding to a new reality. In the last 10 years, those are one by one filling up with for-profit or non-profit businesses and agencies and, and other organizations that just want to be there. They have a customer base. They have revenues that exceed expenses. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sustainable, vibrant business district, again, um, maybe the likes of which we've never seen. I think we appreciate the old architecture, the old pillars and windows and neat things of these old storefronts maybe more than we ever have. We did lose a bunch of them. And um, so I think, honestly, and I and I, I can back it up in my own mind with, again, just walk down our downtown anywhere through those streets and you will see that one by one, especially if you had a photo from 10 years ago, those shops are filled and they're filled with Many of them, you know, local, interesting types of businesses, restaurants, coffee shops that that run a good business, that run a profitable business. They're happy to be there. Now some of them have been there five and ten years and have proven that they can make a strong, a strong business um, position right there in that spot. And that has carried to where, again, more and more of those have filled and the result is again, you know, it's kind of an upward spiral as the businesses are there, as the as the, the 
storefronts are filling and looking good. Of course, more customers come, more people. We have a, a beautiful downtown uh, theater complex in downtown East Grand Forks with Cabela's across the street and um, lots of shops and restaurants. And um, no, I, I the, the private sector has stepped up. That's what I have enjoyed is a lot of the initial push was was government driven to to put back infrastructure to put back flood protection and the private sector has stepped up and and done now what the private sector does best and that is um find a way that that profitable businesses come into the into the realm and um and now just carry the whole momentum forward we did lose a a high percentage of our population i don't remember the number if it was um 15% or so of East Grand Forks left and really, really took up residence in other communities after the flood. A whole lot of those folks have moved back. You know, they did still have friends and family here. And when they began to see that, you know what, this city's going to be just fine, um, a lot of them have come back. I mentioned how you can confidently invest, whether it's an apartment building or it's a, a store or into your own business or home, whatever it may be, um, you can confidently invest in this community, Grand Forks, East Grand Forks, knowing that we have that great flood protection. In the 20 years since, many residents feel a sense of optimism, especially after a comprehensive flood control system was built by the city in cooperation with the Army Corps of Engineers. Never say never, but um, we're good to almost you know anything you can imagine as for a, a possible flood event. And why does that matter? Well, of course, you know, the two thoughts that come to mind right away, A, we want to feel safe here. Just, you know, in our minds, we want to know that we have as good a chance of being dry any given year as anybody probably in the whole country. And B, from a pure fiscal standpoint, who wants to invest money into a city that's highly susceptible to flooding? I don't. And uh, and that's not us. I mean, our city has an amazing engineered Corps of Engineers approved and and certified flood control system. Today in East Grand Forks, with major improvements throughout the area, there is a strong sense of patriotism and pride in the community. The new City Hall building and East Grand Forks Campbell Library are powerful statements of what kind of community East Grand Forks is today. The Greenway, which is a wide natural area adjacent to the river in the community, is a magnet for recreational enthusiasts and wildlife. The Red River State Recreation Campground, located in the Greenway, is full almost every weekend and is one of the busiest campgrounds in Minnesota's park system. Entertainment, recreation, shopping, and employment opportunities in East Grand Forks have never been greater than they are today. Much of this work was accomplished through federal, state, and local partnerships, through federal grants, and other state and private funding. So I'm okay with the fact that we fought to save the whole city, and then the whole city got wet. And then we were all in the same boat coming back to recovery. And um, and I'm, I'm pretty pleased with, with where we've ended up. When Sherman traveled back to East Grand Forks in 2007 to commemorate the 10-year anniversary of the floods, he was amazed by the progress that had been made in the area. There were single-family homes where mobile homes had been when he was last there. Sherman, who is now retired from FEMA, on a personal level, feels that the partnerships he developed with East Grand Forks community leaders and residents are still a strong part of his life. And he sees this even today through Christmas cards that he receives and Facebook friendships that he continues to foster with the people that he worked with so closely in response to these floods. 
I feel very fortunate to have met people up there and worked with them. And I remember at the 10-year the anniversary, the then mayor, Lynn Staus, said, um, you know, you told us that the first day that we need to live, love, and leave a legacy. He said, um, we've done that. After catastrophe, through years of hard-fought recovery, the community of East Grand Forks has emerged stronger and more resilient than ever to future disasters. We've linked to this episode on our FEMA Facebook page, and we invite you to join the conversation in the comments. If you have ideas for a FEMA podcast topic, send us an email at fema-podcasts at fema.dhs.gov. If you would like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov slash podcasts.